0: Live from New York City, it's the Gary Knoll Show. And now, your host, Gary Null.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll, and I'd like to welcome you to this program. Today, we're going to set extra time aside to speak with one of America's leading Environmental experts, Jeffrey Smith, we're filming him upstairs as we speak. I just uh, stopped my part of the um, uh, directing, turned it over to Richard Gale, and he'll be joining us about twenty minutes from now. We're going to talk about the food you eat, that salmon, or that milk, or the wheat, the soy, and all about genetic engineering, and that so-called miracle of a green revolution that was sponsored by Rockefeller University. Well, it wasn't. It was a disaster. And now that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation wants to have a second Green Revolution, also working with Monsanto and the Rockefeller Foundation, it'll also be a disaster. So we're going to give you a real primer today on genetic engineering. And I will open that up for calls a little later on. Let's go to the latest in health and healing. This came from one of our listeners, Dr. Rick. And he says, Gary, thought you would find this of interest. This is mainstream medicine, and it's showing the benefit of exercise on mood. Then the source is the International Journal of Psychiatry and Medicine. And an article entitled, Exercise for the Treatment of Depression and Anxiety. I'll just quote the abstract. It's very revealing. Quote, Depression and anxiety are the most common psychiatric conditions seen in the general medical setting, affecting millions of individuals in the United States. The treatments for depression and anxiety are multiple and have varying degrees of effectiveness. Physical activity has been shown to be associated with decreased symptoms of depression and anxiety. Physical activity, by the way that means exercise, has been consistently shown to be associated with Improved physical health, life satisfaction, cognitive functioning, and psychological well-being. Conversely, physical inactivity appears to be associated with the development of psychological disorders. Specific studies support the use of exercise as a treatment for depression. Exercise compares favorably to antidepressant medication as a first-line treatment for mild to moderate depression and has also been shown to improve depressive symptoms when used as an adjunct to medication. So, there we have it. Now, why is this important? Because I just concluded almost three years of very in-depth investigative work on on the causes and the best treatments for anxiety and depression. And in my work, I have consistently seen that there's been an absolute abject failure of using medications to help anyone at any time with anxiety or depression. The worst case scenario, let's say that a person is suicidal, well, some medications will actually cause that person then to become even more suicidal, to attempt it or to succeed at it. Otherwise, if you have someone who is so psychotic that their behavior is dangerous to them or other people, there are antipsychotic medications that will simply keep a person in an emotional stupor. In effect, you've chemically lobotomized them. Much like Jack Nicholson's character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he got enough medications, and then he got enough of a, a medical treatment in the form of a frontal lobotomy that he's just a vegetable. So you don't have to worry about Jack. ...doing anything that is going to upset anyone. All right? Therefore, you could legitimately say... ...that if there are those individuals in our society... ...who are so out of control... ...that they will hurt other people... ...then some form of chemical intervention... ...for a period of time... ...is necessary. That probably represents under 2% of all the people... ...treated with psychiatric medication. The vast majority are treated for depression... ...or anxiety... And now we've seen, first we've seen two things. One is that the studies actually show that a placebo, a sugar pill, is as effective. But here's the difference. A sugar pill doesn't have side effects of suicidal ideation or akathisia or various uh, paralysis or tics, but the medications do. So if you were depressed and your doctor gave you a simple little cube, one cube of sugar, and give you thirty. And so say each day, you're to chew on this cube of sugar. And he charged you some reasonable amount. Let's say a dollar, two dollars, for a month supply, thirty cubes of sugar. You would be equally benefited as if you were taking a two hundred dollar Paxil, Zoloft, Afxer. These fraudulent products promoted by the completely disrespect disrespectful industry, psychiatry. And since psychiatrists no longer the majority do not give the time for proper counseling to see what might have gone on in a person's life that caused them to be depressed, then the tranquilizers are the root. And since there's no impediment in giving as many different varieties as you want, then it's very profitable. And there's a reward for them doing this. Now in comes this study and it's not the only study. There are multiple studies showing that exercise elevates mood. It has this wonderful natural way of rebalancing serotonin and dopamine. It takes the high off of that dopamine. You no longer feel hyper and anxious. You can work through the day with a nice even energy. Your sense of awareness of self in your environment, your cognition improves. Your memory improves, circulation to the brain improves, all of which is good. You get a better night's sleep if you've exercised during the day. And what does that cost us? How about nothing? Even power walking. I suggest that senior citizens go to the malls in their area earlier in the morning and then do their power walking. That can be extremely beneficial for them. In fact, I remember it was years ago that I actually went up to Connecticut to motivate a group of people to go to the malls in the morning if they felt uncomfortable or unsafe exercising on the street. The key is you want to keep in motion. If you walk continuously around your block, that's fine. A track is outstanding. But the key is not to stop. See, tennis, you start and stop. Basketball, you start and stop. Football, you start and stop. Only when you're at high resistance biking jogging, power walking, do you not stop? And that's where you get your aerobic, and that's where you get your highest level of mood, enhancing, calming, and energizing chemicals coming into the brain. And these are extremely important, the endorphins. <clears throat> so it's just, I want to thank uh, Dr. Rick, for sending me this study. After all, how many people actually read the International Journal of Psychiatric Medicine? Three? Four? No one. So, there it is. So, don't take the tranquilizers when you know that you could take a sugar pill. Of course, you could take other things that would actually help the brain, that would actually heal the brain, that would actually rebalance brain. But I'm not even going to discuss that. I'm just being... Playing the devil's advocate, if you just took a sugar pill, compared to the tranquilizers, you'd be getting the same efficacy. Which means that the drugs are just fraudulent. But exercise takes you to a whole other level. Next up, vitamin E improves recovery of severe forms of fatty liver disease. By the way, especially in children. This is in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And it reports on the outcome of the treatment of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in children, and it found significant improvement in the liver biopsies of children with non-alcoholic um, conditions using vitamin E. That's right. When you take vitamin E on this inflamed liver, uh, you can help it. So my suggestion is to take mixed tocopherol. Also, I've been asked many times. Is bamboo a healthy food? Oh, it's more than healthy. Young bamboo shoots are one of the superstars of the health food segment we have out there. It's a it, You could consider it the new uh, superfood. There was an article published in Comprehensive Reviews in Food Science and Food Safety that showed that it's rich in the shoots, and it's the fifth. Leading food used in the Orient. In fact, I didn't. I didn't know this. There was a professor in the department of botany at Punjab, Punjab University. Quote. In addition, they contain phytosterols. That's good for your hormones. High amounts of fiber. Uh, they can be labeled nutraceuticals, and as well as full spectrum of protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Well, oh, by the way. Bamboo shoots have been used for 2,500 years in China, <clears throat> and it's one of the five most popular health foods in the world. Every single Chinese restaurant has bamboo in as a vegetable, and the shoots are mainly what are focused on. There was 2 million tons of bamboo shoots consumed just last year, over a million two in China alone. So, yes, bamboo is a healthy product, low in calories, high in fiber, rich in nutrients, and uh, and all in good balance. And finally up, the omega-3 fatty acids can slash your levels of heart disease substantially. This is a uh, a good quality study published in the uh, peer-reviewed journal Nutrition. And it said that researchers from, quote, China, Taiwan, and Australia... Added to a more comprehensive analysis on this, the implications of our finding um, are important because the omega-3 fatty acids, about 1,500 milligrams, were able to substantially reduce the risk of heart disease. So, take your fatty acids, and that can help you live a longer life and help you prevent a heart attack. Back in a moment, please stay with us. Joining me in studio in New York City is Jeffrey Smith. As I mentioned just a moment ago, we've been filming Jeffrey this morning for several different films, one on genetic engineering and one on Poverty, Inc., and also some comments on sustainability. Uh, He'll be appearing in all of those. Many of you heard Jeffrey on Earth Day here with our other panelists talking about the, the nature of the Earth and how we are as guardians. Nice to have you with us today, back again on the show, Jeffrey. Thank you, Garrett. Jeffrey, I'm going to open with uh, an article from Louise Gray, uh, published in The Telegraph, UK. Have you read this yet? No, I haven't. I just got it early this morning. It's called GM, Genetically Modified Soy, the Invisible Ingredient, Poisoning Children. The home of Petrona. Colosoba well, is surrounded by genetically modified soy fields. The golden crop looks like a bumper harvest, but for her, it's a symbol of death. Soy destroys people's lives, she says. It is a poison. It is no way to live. Soy is deadly to us. Sitting outside her painted green shack in rural Paraguay, the mother of eight describes the day in January 2003 when her 11-year-old son, Silvino, came home from cycling to the local groceries. I was washing clothes down by the river and he came to tell me he had been sprayed by one of those mosquito spraying machines behind a tractor. He smelt so bad that he took his clothes off and jumped straight in the water. The busy mother did not think much about it. For people living around genetically modified soy fields, spraying with chemicals is a common occurrence. But later that day, the whole family was ill after eating the food that Silvino had brought from the shops. Uh, Petrino rushed her youngest uh, to the hospital, and by the time she was back, the usually healthy child was in bed, rigid with pain. Now in a blind panic, she begged local farmers to take her to the hospital. He was violently sick, and his skin went black. By the time they arrived in the city, Savino was paralyzed. All the doctors could do was administer painkillers, while his mother wiped the foam off his mouth. A few hours later, he died. To the family, it was a it was clear this horrific death was caused by chemical intoxication, but in their grief, no autopsy was ever carried out. It was only after years of campaigning that Petrona managed to get the case to court. Eventually, two local farmers were convicted of causing the death, and, but nothing was done to them. Like many court cases in Paraguay, there are serious unanswered questions, but Petrona is sure of one thing that her son's death was caused by genetically modified soy, and we should listen to her because we are eating it. Daily Telegraph investigations have found that every single supermarket in Britain stocks meat and dairy from animals fed genetically modified soy. Leading brands include Unilever, Dairy Crest, and Cadbury, all using products from genetically modified uh, fields and given to their cows. In fact, the new technology is so widespread that it's likely at least one item of food you eat today will have come from an animal-fed genetically modified soy, whether it was the milk on your cereal or the bacon in your sandwich. But what effect is our growing reliance on soy having on the country supplying Britain with this invisible ingredient? Paraguay, a landlocked country in the heart of South America, is on the front line of the new craze for growing green gold. In many ways, it is the perfect place to grow unsustainable soy. Ruled by the despotic dictators for centuries, the country is famous for being a hotbed for drug smugglers, war Nazi criminals, and even Al-Qaeda. Even now, with the new democratically elected government in place, corruption is rife and regulations protect the people are lax or non-existent. In the last year, the amount of land planted with soy has grown to a record 2.6 million hectares, most of which is genetically modified, leading to claims of deforestation, violent land disputes, and the poisoning of local communities. Already, it's estimated 90% of the Atlantic rainforest in Paraguay has been lost to make way for more soy. Thanks uh, are taking with it thousands of unique plant species, hundreds of rare birds, and endangered animals like the jaguar. There's evidence that soy production is now moving into the vast uh, Grand Chaco in the north of the country, the home of some of the last uncontracted tribes on Earth. It's not just animals that suffered. The forests were also home to humans. And then it goes on from there. Jeffrey, if you would, I'd like for you to do a classroom on the air presentation. I'd like to set just a few questions for you and have you give us an uninterrupted exploration of this important topic, all right? Sounds good. <clears throat> I've just completed a uh, nearly two years of traveling around the United States and filming The New Poor. These individuals rarely have enough money to eat um, what we would consider healthy food. More often than not, they're eating convenience foods, which are mainly made from wheat, and corn, dairy, and soy. Uh, Crackers and cakes uh, and uh, breads. They eat meat, they drink dairy, they eat cheeses. They have very little in the way of health. Most are sick. Most are obese or overweight. When I talk about sustainability and I go to a farmer's market, as I do when I'm in New York down at Union Square, most of the people... There are fully aware that the fastest growing and most popular vendors are locally grown organic sprouts and vegetables. A few years ago there were two, now there are at least 16. They understand that why it's important to eat this way. There is a movement away from genetic engineering, but it's about 5% of the American population. That's a lot of people. It's 16 million people, but compared to 95%, it's not. So I'd like for you to tell us, first, why we have this need to grow animals and plants using genetic engineering. What went wrong with the way we were growing and could grow that should demand us to put our energy into this? Next what role has our government, from the White House that makes the appointments to the people who oversee all this, to the USDA and the FDA that are supposed to be protecting us from anything that can be dangerous? What role have they played? What role has the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Boston Globe, the Miami Herald, the Los Angeles Times, played in promoting the need for this? much as uh, they will promote anything that uh, Bill Gates says in his foundation. As long as they're giving money, they focus upon the amount of the money given and what cause it's supposed to be to feed starving people in, in, in Africa. Therefore, no question of what we're doing, how we're doing it, or whether or not it will work or whether it's safe. It's all based upon the person giving the money, they're famous, and how much they gave a lot. Not even who they gave it to or what they're going to do with it. And then let's look at the actual science, real science, not proprietary science. Tell us about the people who've done the actual work, and do they find that genetically engineered food is safe or not safe? Are there studies supporting its safety? And if so, what are they? And if not, if so, what are they? How have these people been treated? We encourage people to believe in democracy. Do we really have democracy in food science? And if not, give us examples of individuals who have been vilified, marginalized, and destroyed because they chose to speak the truth. Then finally, tell us about <clears throat> the responsibility that the the public has in choosing to have knowledge in a topic. If someone says, I didn't know, could they have reasonably found out? Or did he live with this kind of this game of saying I'm too lazy to change my life so therefore anything happens couldn't possibly be my responsibility. At what point do we insist that people become more aware of an issue, especially something as intimate as their own health, than what they have allowed themselves to be up to this point? That's it. The form is yours.
0: Okay. So the first question is, what was wrong with our current system of farming? Well, according to Monsanto, who is the largest food largest producer of GMOs, I guess it wasn't giving them enough money. I'm being cynical, but it's actually probably the reality. They actually have created, and others have created, a system of farming using herbicide tolerant crops, like Roundup ready soybeans, where you can spray the soybeans with Roundup herbicide. You kill all of the other plant biodiversity, but not the Roundup ready crops. And so they did this by transferring a gene from bacteria into the soy plant. Now, that same process causes massive collateral damage, and we found out afterwards that a known allergen is increased by as much as sevenfold, that an anti-nutrient is is doubled, that there's reduced protein, etc., etc. They don't check for that. They don't look for that. They just say, well, it's good for the farmers. It has some basic substantial equivalents. We should put it on the food supply. So what it does is it allows farmers to weed in a way that requires less labor, less cost, but it ultimately puts a system together which exposes the entire population to the products of an infant science that's prone to to unpredicted side effects. There's also some crops that are engineered with their own insecticide. The insecticide is called Bt toxin. It breaks open the stomach of certain insects and kills them. Now, Bt toxin is known to some of you out there because in its natural state, as a soil bacterium, it's used as a spray, which kills insects. But what they did is they took a gene from the bacterium and put it into corn plants and cotton plants so that the plant itself becomes a registered pesticide and does its own killing. It's like every single cell of the plant has a little spray bottle which puts out this toxic insecticide. And so... Farmers use a little bit less insecticide because they have this built-in spray bottle in the plants themselves. And as far as the herbicide-tolerant ones, like the Roundup Ready, they use a ton more herbicide. Actually, 383 million pounds more in the first 13 years. Now, there has been sufficient evidence from animal feeding studies to cause the American Academy of Environmental Medicine to say every doctor should prescribe non-GMO diets to every patient because animal feeding studies show sterility and infant mortality and immune system problems and organ damage and accelerated aging, etc. But they, that they, they don't hear that at the FDA. There's a deaf ear there where they describe their clients' quote clients as companies like Monsanto. The clients are not the general public. The clients are the companies who make the products that supposedly they regulate. Now, the reason why they turn a deaf ear to Monsanto is very interesting. Back in the first Bush administration in the early 90s, the White House had told the FDA, promote biotechnology. They believed that biotechnology would increase U.S. exports and U.S. domination of the food trade. And so the FDA, mandated to promote biotechnology, created a new position for Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney, to be in charge of FDA policy while the agency was crafting the policy on GMOs. Michael Taylor was in charge of that policy and then became Monsanto's vice president and is now the U.S. food safety czar in the Obama administration back at the FDA. The policy that he oversaw, which is the policy today related to GMOs, says that no feeding, no studies whatsoever, feeding studies, human feeding studies, animal feeding studies, no safety studies whatsoever are required. That GMOs could be introduced to the market by Monsanto, by you or me, by anyone without even telling the FDA. And they don't have to be labeled. Now, the justification for this abdication of their responsibility for not approving GMOs, not even having to look at them. The justification came in a single sentence of the FDA policy. That sentence said, the agency is not aware of any information showing that the foods derived by these new methods differ in any meaningful or uniform way. The sentence was a lie. The entire basis of the policy on GMOs was a lie. We know it was a lie because we actually now have the smoking gun to prove it. 44,000 secret FDA memos, made public because of a lawsuit years later, showed that the overwhelming consensus among the FDA's own scientists were that GMOs were not only significantly different, but significantly dangerous. They specifically said they might create allergies, toxins, new diseases, nutritional problems, that they could create new toxins, create higher levels of existing toxins, Can bioconcentrate toxins from the environment, also in the milk and meat of animals. They had urged their superiors over and over again to require long-term safety testing, human testing. They complained about the drafts of the policy that claimed that they were not aware of sufficient information in order to regulate, but they were ignored. And so when the FDA handed this policy to the White House, It still wasn't good enough. Memos from the Office of Management and Budget, the White House Council, Health and Human Services, criticized it as saying it has to go further. It has to say clearly that GMOs are as safe as regular products and that this section showing 12 pages of possible environmental problems is too much because it gives the wrong impression that there's risks. And so as the crops got further and further up the political ladder, They got safer and safer. And the role, the mythology that was put out by the biotech industry and by the government is that GMOs are no different. And that is what the media has been reflecting. What has the role of the major media been? Well, in 1999, when those memos were made public at a press conference was held in Washington, D.C. And it was shown that there was clear fraud at the FDA where they were lying about the information that they had related to GMOs. A friend of mine who was running the press conference was told by a senior reporter for a mainstream newspaper, this should be front-page news, but it's going to be buried. And sure enough, the next day, even though all the majors were there, it was not reported. It was completely buried information. Finally, two years later, some of those memos were reported in a New York Times article that reflected on the power of Monsanto over the regulatory agencies. But essentially, the fraud had gone exposed and unpunished. What has gone punished, unfortunately, are the scientists who discover problems. The poster child of the scientists that have been jumped on and attacked by the biotech industry was Dr. Arpad Pustai. It's a classic case. He was a pro-GM scientist working on a UK government grant to figure out how to test for the safety of GMOs. He he expected that GMOs were safe. And he had $3 million to figure out how to test to prove that they were safe. But what he ran some genetically modified potatoes through his protocol. he discovered that the process of genetic engineering itself is so fraught with unpredicted side effects that virtually every organ and every system that was studied in those rats was damaged, potentially precancerous cell growth, smaller brains, livers and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, damaged immune system in just 10 days. Well, he was shocked about what he discovered and was invited to go on television to be interviewed. And with permission from his director, he described his concerns and was a hero for about two days at his prestigious institute. And then two phone calls were allegedly placed from the UK Prime Minister's office, forwarded through the receptionist to the director of the institute. And the next day, Dr. Pustai was fired from his job after 35 years, silenced with threats of a lawsuit. His 20-member research team was disbanded. They never implemented the protocols. Instead... His institute and the pro-GM government and the biotech industry embarked on a campaign to destroy his reputation, to protect the reputation of biotechnology. Finally, after seven months, he was invited to speak before Parliament. His gag order was lifted, the data is back, and now it's published in The Lancet. But that was the first of the high-profile attacks that have since been followed by many over and over again. Dr. Irina Urbakova, Russian Academy of Sciences, fed fed GM soy, the same genetically modified soy flour you could buy in the grocery store today, fed them to female rats starting two weeks before they got pregnant. More than half of their babies died within three weeks, compared to only a 10% death rate among the babies of female rats that were fed non-genetically modified soy. The GM group was also smaller and could not reproduce in a follow-up study. She had also fed GM GM soy to male rats. The testicles changed from pink to blue. She was vilified, attacked, set up. Documents were burnt on her desk, samples stolen from her office. She told me after we both gave a presentation at the EU Parliament that her boss, under pressure from his boss, told her no more GM research. A French scientist, Dr. Ceralini, evaluated Monsanto's own raw data from feeding studies and published with his team evidence that the rats that ate the genetically modified corn had signs of toxicity. The corn was either genetically engineered to produce a pesticide, an insecticide, or to be tolerant to sprays of Roundup. But in both cases, The kidneys and livers of these rats were affected indicating signs of toxicity very similar as if they had been poisoned with insecticides. He was immediately attacked. He was attacked by other scientists with no scientific basis to their attacks. He was the first scientist to fight back. And on November 23rd of last year, a a trial was, was held in France where he accused his attacker of libel. And in January, he won the lawsuit and got paid, as he requested, one euro. And his legal fees were covered by the defendant as well. So that demonstrated that the courts verified that there was no basis for him to be attacked. But the basis, the scientific basis is not the provocation. The scientific basis is not the cause. It's the impact of those attacks and stifling research i talked to charles benbrook who is the former chairman of the agriculture committee of the national academy of sciences he said he knows personally dozens of scientists that refuse to do any research on gmos or the related roundup because they cannot they choose not to expose themselves or their families to that type of attack and the attack is not just verbal as in the case of dr andreas Carrasco, from Argentina. He had been hearing about peasants who had been sprayed with Roundup near these soy fields, just as you reported in the beginning. And he said that these peasants were complaining of birth defects and cancer and other problems. So he decided to test the impact of Roundup and its active ingredient glyphosate on embryos of chickens and amphibians. And found, sure enough, that very tiny concentrations of this Herbicide, led to severe birth defects, verifying what the peasant communities had said and what other research showing correlational studies had also backed up. He announced his research and immediately was attacked verbally for very large people, intimidating, came to his, his office and tried to get his papers and interrogate him. But then later, after he had published his study, he went to give a talk in a rural community and a mob of about a hundred people who had been organized supposedly by a local farmer attacked him physically and his friends. They actually beat up some of his colleagues causing paralysis in one, hospitalization in another. They tried to attack Carrasco. He locked himself into his car and it was, the car was beaten and attacked for two hours. So it's absolutely a travesty. According to the journal Nature... These attacks are this knee-jerk response by the biotech industry that undermine the quality of science and undermine the whole scientific process. And as far as the public goes, they're completely unaware of the health dangers. They're unaware, for example, that that Russian Academy of Sciences study with the rats, it was not an isolated study showing reproductive problems in one unique sample. Five years later, in Moscow, another senior scientist from the Russian Academy of Sciences fed genetically modified soy to hamsters for two years. By the third generation, most lost the ability to have babies. They also died at five-fold rate of infant mortality, and some of the hamsters had hair growing in their mouths. In Italy, mice fed GM soy had changes in their testicles, including young sperm cells. And the embryo offspring also had changes in the way their DNA functioned. The Austrian government study fed Roundup-ready corn and Bt corn to mice. They had fewer babies and smaller babies. In Brazil, rats fed GM soy had damaged ovaries and uteruses. So we see consistent reproductive problems. And with the Roundup-ready crops, we don't know if it's the crop or the Roundup or a combination of both. But we should not be relying on the government and their assertions that GMOs are safe. That relying on others turns out to be the disease which has allowed GMOs to propagate. I've traveled to 32 countries speaking about GMOs, and so often I go to a developing country, and the regulators tell me, well, it must be safe because the FDA approved it. If you talk to the FDA, they say, we don't have to approve it. Monsanto can determine if its own foods are safe. We require nothing. Well, I talked to a former Monsanto scientist who said three of his colleagues had tested the safety of milk from cows treated with their genetically modified bovine growth hormone, they found so much of a hormone called IGF-1 in the milk, which is linked to cancer, these three Monsanto scientists refused to drink milk after that point, unless the milk was organic, and therefore not treated with their own drug. One actually bought his own cow. So, no one is taking responsibility, and if you look at Monsanto itself, even their own people are not necessarily consuming the products that they make. The scientist also told me that when Monsanto scientists did animal feeding studies with a genetically engineered crop, there were problems in the rodents. So instead of withdrawing the crop, they changed the write-up of the study to make the problems seem to go away. So they're rigging their research to avoid finding problems. So where does that leave the public? Completely blind. Especially because we don't have required labeling of GMOs in this country like they have in most other developing countries. But we're not completely blind for it, fortunately, because many companies voluntarily will declare their products as non-GMO. There's only eight genetically modified food crops. Soy, corn, cottonseed, which is used for oil, canola oil, sugar from sugar beets, Hawaiian papaya, a little zucchini, a little crookneck squash, And now the ninth is alfalfa, which is used as hay for animals. Now, it is possible to avoid products that are made with genetically engineered foods by avoiding anything that has a derivative of these products. But it's difficult because soy and corn are practically omnipresent in processed foods, as are sugar and canola oil and cottonseed oil. But there's products that specifically structure their supply chain to avoid eating, to avoid serving the genetically modified crops. And we have listed them at non shoppingguidecom so that people can choose on their own to choose the healthier non-GMO products.
1: Jeffrey, two, I want to interject two things. Is it not true that uh, Monsanto hired the discredited uh, former company Blackwater that just changed its name? These are the people that killed those innocent Iraqis and uh, uh, tried the cover-up. To be their heavy hand to investigate anyone uh, in any way they chose fit who uh, disagreed with Monsanto. So now Monsanto has its own black op operation working under the complete knowledge and awareness of Obama and his White House and our Department of Agriculture. They they have brought in they have brought in some real bad guys who will stoop at nothing to get the information on anyone who talks badly about that, and I'd like you to go into more specifics about this, especially about the one scientist. And also, what about frankenfish? Tell about their ideas about how to get uh, bigger fish uh, quicker to market and why we should be concerned, especially those people who eat salmon.
0: Okay. Now, it is true that there was evidence released that Monsanto had hired a division of Blackwater. They evidently supposedly replaced it with another super-secret intelligence agency, I don't think it matters which one, because there's plenty of them to go around, and it's not just the private companies like Monsanto that are using these underhanded tactics. According to WikiLeaks, the entire State Department infrastructure has been basically deployed as a Monsanto enforcement wing to try and push open the doors of other countries To GMOs. The ambassador to France, the US ambassador to France, actually asked the US government to create a retaliation list against organizations and companies, and countries, excuse me, in Europe that were resisting, and he wanted the retaliation to cause some pain in Europe. And this was just one of many memos showing how the State Department had set itself up to promote Monsanto's products. So we have a situation now. Where some of the darkest corporations, Monsanto has been voted year after year as one of the most as the most evil corporation. They were fined seven hundred million dollars for quietly poisoning the occupants of a town, Anniston, Alabama, next to their PCB factories. Documents made public showed their attitude in a memo, which said by the F, by the Monsanto rep, "We can't afford to lose one dollar of business, even they even though they knew." That when they put actual fish into a nearby stream, within 30 seconds the fish shed their skin, floated to the top and spurted blood. They knew that they were poisoning the people, but could not afford to lose one dollar of business. So they are now in charge of determining if our foods are safe. When it comes to salmon, the salmon that is now being considered to approve is genetically engineered with a growth hormone that goes on constantly, which causes the salmon to grow very fast. Now a similar salmon had been genetically engineered with a growth hormone and tested in Canada. And it was found that when they fed these fish enough food, everything was fine, but when they reduced the amount of food, these ravenous, starving fish freaked out and started killing and eating their competition, whether it was another frankenfish or a natural salmon and that they were more aggressive in their behavior, willing to go into areas in the tank that other salmon were not able to go and and possibly attack fish. So if these genetically modified frankenfish get approved and get released accidentally into the ocean and reproduce, they may threaten the existence of wild salmon and other fish populations. Also... The same IGF-1 levels in, that were increased in milk that caused the Monsanto's own scientists to say no more milk unless it was organic, it appears that there's higher levels of IGF-1 in the salmon as well. But the research was so poorly done by this company that it's hard to say from their terrible statistics. But it appears that there's this increase in cancer-causing hormones, as well as allergenicity. So people who may be allergic to salmon may be much more allergic to the GM salmon, but the FDA does not, it says that it does. It will not require labeling of the frankenfish.
1: Now, I, I want to look at the reality. The, the reality is there's only two ways to ever have anything succeed within an official capacity. That is where an official policymaker, that's the most powerful person, can open a door for you, and then there's the opinion leader who makes sure that your reputation and your positioning are not limited. So we have, for example, we have Obama saying, yes, you, je- you uh, uh, will, Monsanto will give us some of your top four uh, current employees to run different divisions of oversight of our USDA or our FDA, like Michael Taylor. And then he, that's the policymaking. But then the opinion leading is the American media has refused to do something, and this is my larger question. I was concerned that we're missing an enormous piece of a puzzle in the United States in everything we do, in every institution, and that is ethics. So I hired two lawyers to full-time get me every lawsuit in the last 30 years that has been lost by a pharmaceutical company of any type, And also by Wall Street firms of any type, any bank. I didn't realize how long it was going to take. To give you an idea, the pharmaceutical companies, we're not talking about thousands or even hundreds, we're talking about dozens, have settled over a half a trillion dollars in litigation. They showing, and the lawsuits had to show what was the problem did they injure, their products cause injury or death? And it was into the hundreds of thousands of deaths. One product alone, Vioxx, killed over 60,000 Americans. And they paid a $5.85 billion fine. But no one ever went to jail. No company's reputation was ever adversely affected. Even like with uh, Eli Lilly, they had multiple problems over a period of time. Or Monsanto, multiple major disasters. So then when I looked at it, I said, okay, how about this? How about if Jeffrey Smith or Gary Knoll went to apply for a grant or a job, and we had to be completely honest in, in our disclosure about anything that was criminal in our past or litigation, and we said, okay, yeah, I created something that cost 60,000 Americans to die. with was just one drug over four years. I injured 120000 I paid a $5 billion fine, but, hey, stock of my company went up, and I got a bonus. So that's a good thing, isn't it? And, oh, yeah, and I've also settled 323,000 separate lawsuits, and that this is a fact, that's cost us an additionally uh, over $17 billion. But, hey, that's the cost of doing business. And yet, in America, the American media, those are the opinion leaders, the Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, the, the Rachel Maddows, because she is equally as guilty as he is in a different way. She may be liberal when it comes to her body politic, But, my God, I haven't seen her leading demonstration. Stupid me. Maybe I missed the demonstration she led in front of Obama's White House uh, protesting uh, our Iraq and Afghanistan invasion or the drugging of our children. No, I didn't miss it. So the left is equally as vulnerable as the right on this. They have given a pass to the reputations of all these companies. So we have massive, massive destruction, injury, and death virtually at a genocidal level and not a single person has been held accountable and business as usual and these are the people who are running our lives today your thoughts on this please
0: well this concept of ethics in business is almost an oxymoron i remember hearing a friend of mine who was at a conference in sabata conference in 1999 and the biotech industry was actually projecting that within five years they would genetically engineer ninety-five percent of all commercial seeds in the world and patent them. And he said it was the most arrogant statement he had ever heard in his life and no one was asking if it was a good idea they were just asking is it possible. It was all a matter of market share. And Monsanto who's been given the green light to determine if the foods are safe they had been blamed by one investigator at the EPA for secretly providing false samples of a previously investigated compound, that they had rigged their research and took people out of the experimental group and put them in the control group when they were testing for Agent Orange, and she said that that was actually the reason why so many servicemen in the United States never got compensation because of what was allegedly a lie, a fraud, by Monsanto Company, to try and protect the reputation of their products. They said that DDT was safe. They keep saying that their products are safe and now we've handed them the keys to our food supply because they're in charge of determining if our foods are safe and even their own people won't eat it or they rig the research to force it. It's hard to imagine individuals who would want to do that to the rest of the world. But it seems as if the corporate structure allows people to give up their personal ethics in favor of some kind of corporate culture. And in the case of Monsanto, from what I've heard over and over again, it's this monster, it's the kind of a modern-day dragon. But I have to say, Gary, that in all the myths in the past about dragon slayers, there was always a chink in the armor of the dragon where the arrow ended up making its mark. And I think the chink in the armor of the biotic industry is the fact that consumers would avoid eating GMOs if they knew the truth and they knew how to avoid GMOs. Moreover, I think it's just a small percentage of us, maybe 5% of the U.S. population, where if we actually stopped eating the GM crops, the, the, stopped eating the brands that use the GM crops, we would create a tipping point. Because GMOs give no consumer benefits. The same companies that serve us GMOs have already removed them from their European and their Japanese brands. They're looking to see if this anti-GMO sentiment gains traction in the U.S. And with 15 million Americans avoiding GM ingredients, that's enough to drop market share. It's enough to demonstrate a trend, and it's already starting. We see the fastest growing store brand claim in 2009 was non-GMO. The third fastest overall claim and all products sold in the grocery store was non-GMO this year, so far. We see the industry now rallying behind the choice for non-GMO. And we see now millions of people are agitated when they become aware of these dangerous products and their food supply. So, if the disease for allowing GMOs to get on the market, as we said before, was giving away our responsibility to these unethical corporations and their enforcement wing in Washington, then the antidote is to take responsibility. And in this case, because it's food, we can get rid of GMOs without changing policy in the government. The reason why Europeans don't have GMOs in their food, except in the animal feed, is because a single high-profile GMO food safety scandal with Dr. Arpad Pustai caused 750 articles to be written within 10 weeks the tipping point was achieved, and within a single week, virtually every major food company committed to stop using jam ingredients in Europe. But Project Censor described that same event as one of the ten most underreported events of the year in the United States, because the mainstream media refuses to talk about the health dangers. But if we're going for 15 million, we don't need Oprah Winfrey and Ellen DeGeneres and Rachel Maddow. We can do it with our own channel media, with this station, with others, to get the word out to significant numbers... And we already have numbers on our side. Most Americans say they would avoid GMOs if they were labeled. So we now have non-GMO shopping guide We have an iPhone application called Shop No GMO. We have a pocket guide. We are equipping people with the choices that they've wanted for years that the FDA didn't want to give it to us because they're still mandated to promote GMOs. So they ignore the desire of nine out of ten Americans who want labeling to promote the economic interests of five biotech companies. But we don't have to follow We don't have to dance to their tune if we take responsibility and say, instead of being a victim, I will be a victor, and I will choose what I want to eat and not what's dictated to me by the biotech companies or the FDA.
1: Thank you very much. Jeffrey, give us your website, please. NonGMOShoppingGuide.com and ResponsibleTechnology.org. I appreciate very much being with us today, Jeffrey. Thank
0: you, Gary. Have a good day. I'm gonna be The Gary Nell Show is produced in our New York City studio. The producer is Richard Gale. The engineer is Matt Bogart. All shows are archived by Joe Kemp. The chief archivist is Sharon Pride, and the program director is Jason Taubenfeld.